Bokertov, we're picking up in the middle of a discussion on Daf Chaf Bet Amud Bet, which we quoted the story of Rav coming into Bavel on Atanit Sibor, and we originally looked at the story as a framework for measuring whether there are three or four aliyot on Atanit Sibor. We return to the story and note that at the end of the story, it says that Rav did not perform the filata payim, although everyone else did. So we have to figure out either what was wrong or what was right, etc. Gufa, Rav, Ikol Abava, Batanit Sibor, Kan Kora Vesifra, Patach Barich Hatim Barich, that we all analyzed yesterday. Nafu Kuli Alman Payu, everyone else fell on their face, the filata payim, Rav lo nafal ala ape. And Rav did not. Now, my time of Rav will not fill up. Hey, why didn't Rav fall on his face? So we have several answers, all which revolve around an Easter found at the end of Parshat Bahar that says, uh, that was a stone floor. We have the Pasuk, you are not allowed to put an Evan Maskit, uh, a carved out floor of stone, uh, to bow down to. So it's only outside of the Beit HaMikdash, you're not allowed to perform such prostration. And Ula said it's only a stone floor, which is the prohibition, uh, to bow down outside of the Beit HaMikdash. And therefore, Rav had stone floor, he couldn't bow down. Well, if that's the case, nobody should bow down if that's the case. And Rav should have stopped them. So come out of Rav Haivai. The answer is that it was right in front of Rav's space in the shul where the stone floor was. The rest didn't have it. That's answer number one. So why didn't he walk around to a different spot in the shul and fall down? Um, the answer is, he didn't want to trouble the tzibur. He knew that if he would walk there, they'd all get up and then move and make space for him. He didn't want to trouble them. And the other possibility is that really there's no prohibition of just falling on your face on a stone floor. But Rav would prostrate himself, unlike everyone else. And another statement of Ula is that the only prohibition on a stone floor is prostration. So let Rav just fall on his face without prostration. The answer is, he didn't want to change his personal custom. This is a Gemara that we saw earlier, that an important person, as, as per the dictum of Rabbi Lazar, the Amar Rabbi Lazar, for a regular person to fall on his face, but it's part of the formula, formula of Tefillah, but for an important person to fall on his face, it's not appropriate unless he knows he's going to be answered like Yoshua Binun. As we see in Pasuk number two on the page, this is after Yeshua fell on his face, after the uh, massacre, as it were, in the first battle for Ai, when he fell in front of the Aron, which is the Makor for Tachanun, and then Hashem answered him. Good. So that's why Rav wouldn't do it. Everybody else could, could do it, because uh, they're not an Adam Chashuv. For Rav, who's an Adam Chashuv, if he knew, he thought he wouldn't be answered by Hashem for whatever he was requesting, it wouldn't be appropriate. Now, parenthetically, within this parenthesis, we identify three different terms that show up in Tanakh that refer to certain kinds of uh, falling on one's face. And that is Kidah, Kri'ah, and Hishtachava'ah, or in modern Hebrew, Hishtachavi'ah. Tanarabaran, Kidah means Alapayim. That means to fall on your face. This is when Batsheva comes before the king. She falls on her face. Apayim. Kri'ah, what's Kri'ah? Al-Birkayim, that's to fall on your knees. When Shlomo got up after saying his tefillah at the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash, it 
says he got up from kneeling on his knees. What's that? That is prustration. Shemar, and Yaakov says to Yosef, after the second dream, Do you think that we are going to come and prostrate ourselves on the ground? So you see that Hishtachava is on the land, on the ground. Good, now we have a story that we've seen several times already. Levi showed in front of Rebbe, showed how to do Kida. And that evidently takes a little bit of uh, deftness or, uh, or agility. And Ve'ila, as a result of that, he became lame. Famous lame man who came to Bavel. Is that what caused him to become lame? Um, a person should never, um, should never be chutzpidek, klapemala. Why? Levi was chutzpidek, the story that we read in Tanit, towards Hashem, and as a result of that, he became lame. Umano uh, Levi. So the answer is Havaha Garmale. Both things caused him to become lame. Good. We, I have seen that Rabbi and Rava simply lean their heads to the sides, exactly what we do on, uh, on, in Tachanun, and they don't really fall down on their face. Good. The Mishnah said that the, the Mount of Aliyot is Biyontov Hamisha, Biyomakipoim Shisha, Uve Shabbat Shiva, and it said you could add to them. Now, Manitin Mani, our Mishnah follows neither school of Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Shvorah. Rabbi Shvorah and Rabbi Kiva, why the Tanya, Biyom Tov, Chamisha, and Yom Tov, you have five Aliyot, Biyom Kippur and Shisha, and Shabbat Shiva, the same order we have, Ein Pochtin, Ve'ein Mosifin, you're not allowed to add to them. It's Rabbi Shvorah, so according to Rabbi Shvorah, has the same number system as we have, but he says you can't add. Rabbi Kiva, Biyom Tov, Chamisha, Biyom Kippur and Shiva, and Shabbat Shisha, he switches the order, says Yom Kippur has seven, Shabbat has six, Ein Pochtin, Man of Mosifin, and he says you can add. Which means that our Mishnah is a mixed bag. It has the number system of Rabbi Shmuel and the possibility of additional aliyot of Rabbi Kiva. Mani'i Rabbi Shmuel kasha tosefet. Rabbi Kiva kasha shisha v'shiva. So the answer is Amorayla tanu Rabbi Shmuel. Of course, one possibility would be to say it's Rabbi, and Rabbi held like Rabbi Kiva when it comes to the Mosifin and like Rabbi Shmuel when it comes to the numbers. But instead, it turns out we have another version of what Rabbi Shmuel taught. The tanu Rabbi Shmuel be yom tov chamisha be yom kippur shisha be shabbat shiva. So here we have a report in Rabbi Shmuel's name. It's exactly our Mishnah. So Kash Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Shmuel. The answer is Trei Tanoi, Leib Rabbi Shmuel. And the contradiction is simply answered. We have two versions of Rabbi Shmuel. And this version is the one that made it into the Mishnah. Now, Mantan Tanya, there was an aphorism. People would say, You come late to Shul and leave early. Biyom HaKippur, it doesn't mean earlier, that means the davening starts a little later and ends earlier. Biyom HaKippur, Mimari Navo Machri Natsait, Yom Kippur, you come early and you leave late. Shabbat, Mimari Navo Machri Natsait, Shabbat, you come early and you leave early. Now, what's the reasoning behind all this? So Rashi points out, on Yom Tov Machri, because you're doing some cooking in the morning, preparation. Mimari Natsait, because there's what to eat. Biyom Kippur, you come early because there's nothing to prepare, and you come leave late because there's nothing to eat. And Shabbat, you come early because there's no preparation to do. But you leave early because there's uh, lunch or breakfast. So Lema Rabbi Akiva, and perhaps this is authored by Rabbi Akiva, who said that Yom Kippur has an extra aliyah, and that's why you come home later. No, even Rabbi Shmuel would agree that the entire davening of Yom Kippur is longer. It has nafish sidur di yoma. The seder of Yom Kippur is large, is long, and therefore even if you have an, uh, one more aliyah on Shabbat, nonetheless the davening, as our own experience tells us, is longer on Yom Kippur. Good. 
So now we said that you have three aliyot on weekday, five on Yom Tov, and seven on Shabbat. Connected me. So the Gemara asks, what do these three numbers symbolize? So Yitzchak Barachmani and somebody with him, Rabbi Shimon Pazi. Either way, it's the same pair. Or perhaps Rabbi Shmuel Barachmani and Rabbi Shimon Pazi disagreed. Because Birchat Konim, the first line has three words, the second has five words, the third has seven words. These are all uh, mentioned in Megillat Esther as attendants of the king. So the king, uh, mystically, the king in Megillat Esther is God, and so therefore you have these attendants of God who get the aliyot. So we have the same statement in Rav Yosef's name. Good. Abai said to Rav Yosef, why didn't you tell me this till now? Evidently, this was late in Rav Yosef's career as a teacher of Abaye, that he taught him the symbolism of 3, 5, and 7. So Amarle, lo havi adani I just didn't know you wanted to know. Have you ever asked me anything that I haven't answered you? Amarle Yaakov mino, so that's the end of that story. And now Amarle Yaakov mino, Rav Yehuda, Yaakov the Min, who may have been an early Christian, said to Rav Yehuda, who are the six aliyot of Yom Kippur? What do they correspond to? Because we talked about three, five, and seven. Four doesn't seem to be symbolic as much as one more than Chol and one less than Yom Tov. What do the six of Yom Kippur correspond to? Amarlay can, of course, based on what we learned yesterday, the five, six, and seven are simply adding because the day gets more intense. But um, in this case, we want to find symbolism with the six. So what are they? In this pasuk in Sefer, uh, in Sefer, in Sefer Nechemia, describes Ezra standing up in the famous stand where he reads the Torah, and he has people on his right and his left, and he has six on his right and six on his left. And this, by the way, was in Tishrei. Shinemar, what's the pasuk? He stood up on the bimav. and saying next to him, Matitya one, Shema two, Vanaya three, Vuriya four, Vechukya five, Masya six, all you on his right. When he saw on his left, Padaya one, Mishal two, Mikamakya three, Vachashum four, Vachashbadna five, Zacharya six, Mishulam seven. Aha, and Ishiva Abusiyav seven. So how does Zechariah and Mishulam? The last two are really one person. Why is he called Zechariah Mishulam? He did everything perfectly. So he's Zechariah the perfect, as it were. Good. Back to Kriyat Torah. Tana Rabbanan. Minyan Shiva. Everyone can get an Aliyah when you're reading seven, seven Aliyot, which is Shabbat morning. Even a minor, even a woman, they can read from the Torah. A woman should not read from the Torah. It's a lack of Kovat Sibor, as if to say... We don't have men who can do this job. So now the question is, when you call seven up, does that include the maftir, or do you need a separate aliyah for the maftir? And so we're going to see what the mechanics of maftir are in a second. So we have a dispute. The one who says it counts, the hakari, because he's reading from the Torah. What happens? You finish the entire reading of the Torah, and on a normal Shabbat, you call someone else up, who repeats the last few psukim of the regular reading and then reads from the Nevi'im. That's the Mafter. So since he reads, so he counts. So you, count, you call up a total of seven, including him. Uh, why could Ula, explains it as Ula, 
Why, when you call someone up to read from the prophets, does he first have to read from the Torah? And they call it a Torah. It's not nice. A guy walks up, ignores the Torah, reads from the Nevi'im. It's a lack of Kovara Torah. Since he's not doing it as part of the reading, but really as Kovara Torah, therefore he doesn't count as one of the seven. So, we have a challenge to that. This challenge is against the one who says the maftir uh, doesn't count, right? Because after all, according to that, you need a total of eight. And we just and this statement is that when you do a haftarah, you have to read twenty-one psukim, which is seven the amount of aliyot you had uh, uh, times three psukim each. In other words, the minimum Torah reading you would have would be twenty-one psukim. So you have twenty-one psukim of the haftarah. But if the maftir doesn't count, which means you've got a total of eight aliyot, which is what we do, then you should have 24 psukim, eight times three. So the answer is, Since the reading of the maftir is not really part of the reading, but it's because of kovara Torah, it also doesn't count. You don't need to have one, three psukim, another three psukim corresponding to that. So Rava challenges this. He's challenging now the idea that you need 21 psukim for a haftarah. Which was the Haftarah in Eretz Yisrael in the old days on Parshat Tzav. This passage, which is in uh, Sefer Yirmiyahu, uh, I have it on the page as uh, as uh, Pasuk 7, is a relatively short Parsha, which when they would be mafter, they would read about 10 Pesukim or so. So the law of we read it, it's less than 21, so how can you tell me that you need to read 21? That's different because the entire story is finished within those psukim. But when you don't finish the story, you can't read less than 21. I was in front of Rabbi Yochanan. And we'd read 10 psukim and he'd say, enough, stop. So the answer is there was a turgaman. There was somebody after each pasuk would translate it. When do we say that you need 21 when there's no turgaman? But if you have a Torgaman, once you've read 10 Psukim, even if you've not finished a theme, you could still stop. Good, okay, this next Mishnah is very, very central, and it uh, lists a bunch of items that can only be done with 10 men there. And so we'll go through the items. In Porsin al Shema, which most of you shown him under, understand means to, um, to have uh, the Shliach Tzibur go up, and read the Birchot Kriyat Shema. Uh, according to some Rishonim, this refers to an individual going up to do so if he missed the Minyan and, um, and, uh, and wants to then um, have Birchot Kriyat Shema said out loud so he can go on up there and do that. And the idea is that, that you cannot do that without a Minyan. That's the Shliach Tzibur who says the Tefillah out loud. Was a custom that we no longer have, which is the the uh, it's a part of the procedure of nichum avelim, which is when we come back. So we sort of accomplish it when we uh, have the two rows at the uh, at the graveside. There's a certain brachot that were said in the house of the avel. What we call Shavu Brachot, the Brachat Chatanim, and Mizanim Hashem, or to say Hashem's name in the introductory formula of Brachat Hamazon, Pachot Me'asara, with less than ten men. Over Karkaot, Karkaot, we'll explain when we get to the Gemara, but essentially means when you have uh, dedicated some land to the Beit Hamikdash, and now it has to be assessed 
to see how much money you have to pay to redeem it. That you need tisha the kohen. It has to be ten people, of which one of them has to be a kohen. The same thing, if you dedicate your value to the Beit HaMikdash, or somebody's value, for that to be assessed, the same thing, ten, one of whom is a kohen. Good. So now the first thing we're going to see is why a davar shibikdusha, such as barchu, such as kedusha, such as birchat kohenim, such as kriyat Torah and the haftarah, all these things are public declarations of God's sanctity and God's uh, holiness, and therefore the Varshavik needs ten people. Where do we know that from? It's a chain of words from Sukim. The essential obligation that sanctifies God's name comes from the end of Parshanem, or middle of Parshanem, or the Nikdashti Betoch B'nei Israel. I shall be sanctified in the midst, Betoch B'nei Israel. So that teaches you that anything of Kedusha has to have ten people. My mashma, how do I learn it from there? Uh, because I use the word talk and I string it to the word talk in Pashat Korach. God tells Moshe to separate himself from the evil group. That's the Edah of Korach, which was 250 plus men. But the word Edah is used in another context. When God is about to punish the ten bad spa scouts, he calls them an Edah. So therefore Edah can mean ten, and therefore it says... Mitoch, it means in the midst of ten. And therefore, when I'm sanctified in the midst of ten, malahalan asaraf kan asara. So that means you need ten people to do a sanctification of God's name. This, by the way, has very big implications for the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem. Uh, anybody who's interested, take a look in the Rambam, Parakeh of Hilchot Yisodei HaTorah, talks about the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem and the difference between acting privately, meaning that when there's not ten Jews, and when there are ten Jews. Now, this mamadu moshav that we do, that we do not have the custom of doing anymore. Uh, we do not do it with less than ten. Why? They would say a process, a stand up, sit down, but they would add, they would be like a very formal thing. It's a lack of propriety to do it with less than ten. What's they would say out in the street on the way back from the, uh, from the uh, cemetery. And by the way, Avelim don't count towards the minion. The bracha that we say under the chuppah and at all of the meals that are for the honor of the uh, of the chatan and kala during the week, in a normal case, there the chatan does count towards the minion. Now, also we don't say Hashem's name in Berchat Amazon without ten. It's also not nice when we say we're going to bless our God and there are ten people there. Now, the last piece in the Mishnah talked about the assessment of land. Ten times in that parsha it says, It says Kohen ten times. So, one is there to tell you that the Kohen has to do it. And each one afterwards then Minimize, it cuts out, so you know that you need ten, but each time it says Kohen, it says, and that's Mimayet, saying Dafka one Kohen and not another Kohen, which means you only need one Kohen out of the ten. And every other one after that is a Miut So Tisha Yisrael Kachad Kohen. But that's, that doesn't really work because it should be that the next Kohen is Marbeh, another Kohen, the next one is Mimayet. And you should end up with five and five. And the answer is Kasha. You're right. It should be.
Adam Mikadosh, since when is a man become Kadosh like Karka? If a person says, my value, I am paying my value to the Beit HaMikdash. We then estimate him as what he would be worth on the slave market. An Eved is compared to Karka, as the Pasuk at the end of Parsha Bahar says, Slaves are bequeathed like land, therefore a slave is like a land, since we, like land, since we just said that land is assessed with ten people, one of whom is a Kohen, Therefore, when we assess this person for his value as a slave, in order to redeem him, uh, to pay his value to the Mikdash, therefore, in such a case, we also have ten people, one of whom is a Kohen. Good. Then the last Mishnah we're going to take a look at today, When you read from the Torah, we've seen this already, you have a minimum of three Pesukim. You don't feed the Maturgaman more than one Pasuk. You read a Pasuk, he translates you don't feed him more than that because it's hard to, to accomplish. When you're reading the Vim, you could feed him as many as three psukim. But we'll see an example of that in a minute. If the three psukim were all three separate ideas or three separate paragraphs, then you've got to feed him one at a time. You're allowed to skip around when you're reading the Nevi'im. But not in the Torah. We'll see an exception to this. How much can you skip? Meaning you're rolling the parchment. So you could read from one part of Yeshayahu, and the, when the Maturgaman is translating the last Pasuk you said, if you have time to roll to another section and read from there, that's fine. And indeed, that's something that, according to some Minagim, we do. For instance, in the Haftarah, according to Ashkenazim, of Parshat uh, Yitro, uh, when you read from Yeshayahu and then skip a couple of Parkim later, uh, the, uh, the Haftarah of Parshat Shlach, um, uh, when we read about the uh, the spying of Yericho, there's other places when we do that. Good. The Gemara is Kani Shlosh Psukim Kenegami. We already saw this uh, a couple days ago. The, actually, yesterday, these three Psukim correspond to what? Amravasi Kenegatoranavim Tuvim. Right. Good. We also saw Coin Levi Israel. There's all quote from the Mishnah. Kigon. What's the example? So the example is Pasuk 12 on the page. It's three consecutive sukim and Sefi Shayao that at least in some manuscripts, each one is a separate parasha. etc. You could see the sukim. Now, we said you could skip around in Aviyah, not in the Torah. Or mini If you recall, when we studied Masachet Yoma, the Kohen Gadol would come out to the Azara and he would read, and he would read uh, from Achrimot. Uh, and then he would roll the Torah ahead to Parshat Emor, also in Vayikra, and read from Parshat Emor, the Ach Be'asor, the Lachodesh Hashviyazeh, and then he would roll up in Balpeh to read the second section of Parshat Pinchas. So that means you're allowed to skip in the Torah, Medalgin, right? Um, so, Vakam Medalik, Rabbi Lokash, Chan Mechdeshi, Vsoka Turgaman, Chan Mechdeshi, Vsoka Turgaman. His first answer is, no, you're allowed to skip even in the Torah as long as that doesn't Waste, it doesn't uh, leave you with dead air, as it were, after the Torgaman is finished for the previous Pasuk, and now you're still rolling. But that means that you're allowed to do that in Navi. Even the Mishnah explicitly said that even when you skip in Navi, it's only if it doesn't leave you with any dead air. I apologize, it's an old radio term. So obviously when it comes to the Torah, you're not allowed to skip even if you don't have dead air. Abaya gives a different answer. You're allowed to skip in the Torah if it's one story. 
So, and the one that the Kohen Gadol would read was about Yom Kippur, and that's about Yom Kippur. The one that we do, for instance, on Atani Tzibur, as we're going to be doing this afternoon, uh, in the, um, on the fast, uh, Tani Dester, and the Mincha, uh, we read, uh, Chachon and Mincha, we read first Vayichal, and then we skip, and we go to Hashem's forgiveness of Bnei Yisrael. This price supports it. You're allowed to skip in the Torah within one theme. And in the Nevi'im, even in two themes, as long as there's no dead air. Aha, there's another point. You're not allowed to skip from one Navi to another. You can't skip from Yishayahu to Yirmiyahu. But you can skip within the book of Shemasar. But you have to go forward, which is why our Minig, for instance, on Shabbat Shuva is to read the Haftarot in order, the end of Hosea, and then uh, some people have a, a section in Yoel they read, and then many people end with Micha, and that's in the order that the books are presented. So everyone should have a very meaningful fast and a, um, and a wonderful day, and Amir Tzashem, tomorrow we will finish the Perek um, on Daf Chafhei Amud Bet.